0: They pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. If they lost, most would be jailed or hanged. They
1: were taking on the greatest fighting force in
0: history, with an
1: amateur army and no navy. And at the center of this whirlwind of history was a seemingly providential collection of great minds, unafraid of revolution in the pursuit of liberty, including Hamilton, Franklin, Adams, Jefferson. Madison, and Washington.
2: If you asked all the prominent founders, and just just go down the list for a second, Franklin's probably the wisest. Madison's probably the most politically acute. Jefferson's the most intellectually sophisticated. Adams is the best read. Hamilton is probably the smartest. But they all said the same thing. Washington is the greatest of us all. Washington was
3: the indispensable American because we can just ask ourselves, had Hamilton or Jefferson or Adams or Franklin, could any of them have done what Washington did? And could Washington have done what they did? It's very hard to see anybody like Jefferson or Adams or Madison getting on a horse and leading an army and imbuing them with revolutionary spirit. And so Washington could do what the other founders could not.
1: Washington's famous reserve and self-control made him appear aloof, and masked a complex man of deep passions and a sometimes explosive temper. While the other founders enjoyed showing off their intellectual gifts, Washington preferred to reveal as little as possible.
2: Washington was the master of the silence. He kept his mouth shut while more insecure men were blathering on. Plus, if you look at his diary, You think, well, there's something that's going to tell you about the inner man, but it's all about the weather. It has nothing to
4: do with the interior storms inside him. He's unusual for a great man in that he wasn't an egotist. There was not a sense, what we call today, of narcissism in him. There's ample evidence of Washington's humility, his general kindness, his basic decency, his ability to be fair to a soldier. And so, hence, he was a great leader. A quiet word from George Washington echoed very loudly. He simply led by example.
5: Washington had a commanding presence. He was sort of intimidating. He was made of marble even back then. And people around him sort of joked about whether or not you'd touch him on the back. But he was the one who commanded the respect, like a general. He is elusive
2: even in his own time and he's a legend in his own time. So that for all those reasons, as a historian or biographer trying to go back and recover the man, he presents the greatest difficulty of anybody I've ever tried to write about.
0: 1776 was a year that had started with great promise. Thomas Paine's enormously popular pamphlet, Common Sense, is a radical call to arms.
6: Thomas Paine was a washed-up businessman, failed marriage back home. I think at one point he was a corset maker. And then he hits his moment. He writes the very famous pamphlet, Common Sense, which declares this is no longer about defending our rights as Englishmen. This is about creating a new nation. The common sense approach now must be we must fight for independence.
0: Patriots throughout the Thirteen Colonies had had enough with King George III's taxes and abuses. A year earlier, after years of humiliation at the hands of the British, fighting had broken out at Lexington and Concord. Now was the time, many felt, to embrace a commitment to independence, or the
2: cause. If you read Washington's battle orders, and this begins in New York and continues throughout the war, The word that is the reverential word is the cause, capital C-A-U-S-E, that we all
1: believe in the cause. And so in June of 1775, the Second Continental Congress requests Washington's presence in Philadelphia. Washington will be appointed general and commander of the Continental Army.
7: He was always very meticulous about how he dressed. So famously, when he went to the Continental Congress, he wore his Virginia military uniform because he was already showing his willingness to stand up and fight and to lead the army. Washington
8: was an ambitious man. He was ambitious for himself and he was ambitious for his country.
4: When Washington takes command, it is no sure thing that there's going to be victory in the american revolution
9: mr washington it is resolved that a general be appointed to command all the continental forces raised or to be raised for the defense of american liberty
10: mr president i must declare with the utmost sincerity i do not think myself equal to the command i am honored with however as the Congress desires it. I will enter upon the momentous duty and exert every power I possess in their service and for support of the glorious cause.
9: Washington thought it was very likely that he would lose. And yet, he was willing to put himself entirely at the service of this cause, even if he lost his life, even if he lost his estate, and even if, and this terrified Washington more than anything else, even if he went down in history as a failure, he still thought it was worth it.
1: Washington arrives outside of Boston to find a group of eager but woefully untrained soldiers. The
2: The Continental Army is a bunch of amateurs. They are not the yeoman farmers. They are the derelicts. They are the third sons with no inheritance. They're recent Irish immigrants. There are also a lot of African Americans. About 10% of the Army is African American. But he has an army that is really incapable of matching the British on
1: a field of battle. The next one who leaves gets Washington's goal is to transform these men into a professional army. He knows the British have superior troops, having fought alongside them during the French and
0: Indian War. General Washington will need to draw on that knowledge and other skills he gained as a young man, or face defeat.
2: Washington congealed as a young man in the front of Virginia, west of the Alleghenies. If Jefferson and Adams went to William and Mary and Harvard, Washington went to war, and war was his crucible. War is what shaped his values and the personality that he eventually exhibited.
0: George Washington was born in 1732 in Westmoreland County, Virginia. Though the family was prosperous, they were not considered in the top tier of Virginia's wealthiest families.
2: As a young man, Washington is not to the manner born. He doesn't have a huge inheritance from his father, but very little indeed.
0: As a teenager, Washington undertakes unusual efforts toward improving all aspects of his character. He studies life lessons from rules of civility and decent behavior, a popular book on self-improvement.
11: What he's describing is really genteel behavior. What were the ideals of gentility in the 18th century? He lays those out and he's going to conform to them and speaking with reserve, holding yourself properly, even learning how to walk into a room in the proper way. Washington himself was very conscious of the fact that he had never had any college education. Unlike Jefferson or Adams, he had had no refined approach to letters and the humanities.
0: Though very much the outdoorsman who loves swimming, hiking, hunting, and fencing, Washington is determined to elevate his social standing. He is convinced, it seems, that important events await him.
7: One has to remember that Washington was huge, that Washington was six foot two, six foot three, built like an oak tree, in a time when people tended to be shorter. And so when he walked in the room, he physically dominated that room.
1: At 17, Washington secures a profitable job as a surveyor in Virginia, including the Western frontier. He gains a unique knowledge of the American landscape, knowledge that will serve him later in battling the British.
4: He knew the land. He knew where the caves were, the creeks. He also had great instincts how to read the weather. He understood the sun and the moon as well as anybody of his era. He was an expert on the topography of the eastern United States. And this allowed him a huge advantage. George Washington, in many ways, was a guerrilla fighter. The British would come in, big clumsy army of redcoats, and Washington knew how to go after them, then disappear into the woods. So his innate knowledge as a surveyor of the landscape was bar none superior for his age.
1: In 1753, the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, Robert Dinwiddie, is ordered to protect British territorial claims in the Ohio River Basin against their French colonial rivals. He sends Washington on a dangerous mission
0: to deliver a message to the French to vacate the area. Washington successfully delivers the message, but the return trip nearly kills him.
2: On the way back, they have to walk through frozen rivers. Everybody else in the group comes down with frostbite or sickness. He doesn't come down with anything. He learns survive and you shall succeed. And he's a survivor in those early years.
0: Washington publishes a journal about his adventure and becomes an international celebrity at the age of 22. But his next trip to the Ohio Valley ignites a global war. In 1754, Washington earns a commission as a major in the Virginia Militia representing the British. On his second journey into the Ohio Valley, Washington and his men ambush a French scouting party, striking the first blow in the French and Indian War.
11: His behavior was that of an inexperienced officer who bit off more than he could chew. He learned a great deal from that. I think one lesson he learned in particular was, don't be too aggressive, be careful what you take on.
1: The war provides Washington with valuable military experience. He begins to learn that traditional European methods of war do not necessarily translate to the colonies. Large columns of men marching at each other are not effective in the woods.
11: North America is heavily forested. It's totally unlike Europe with its neatly manicured fields and hedgerows. Washington learns from that, don't try to fight straight up. Let the terrain fight for you.
1: Washington will have another brush with death at the Battle of Monongahela. After British commanding officer General Edward Braddock is mortally wounded, Washington steps in to help organize a retreat. Washington has two horses shot from beneath him and four musket balls pierce his
12: coat. Yet he remained unharmed. This way! George Washington used the word providence a lot in his writings. Today we think of it as meaning good, good luck or fortune, but back then it meant God's presence.
2: Men were going down to the right and the left of him. It was, and he knows it's all arbitrary and chance. You can be standing in the wrong place and be disemboweled by a cannonball, and he saw that.
12: And that had to have had an effect on him. Why was my life spared when so many of my fellow Virginians died in this battle?
2: He's lucky. By all rights, he shouldn't have survived his 20s. He should have been killed several times. He came to believe that he was charmed, and because he was.
12: So this had a strong effect on George Washington and his belief that maybe my life was preserved for some greater purpose.
0: During a sick leave from the French and Indian War, Washington has a fortunate encounter with the recently widowed Martha Custis, the wealthiest woman in Virginia.
12: Well, Martha Washington was in her late 20s when George Washington courted her. And a lot of the paintings that we see of her, she has white hair and a bonnet, and she's you know, in the more senior years of her life. But when she and George Washington were courting, she was quite the catch.
10: Would you care for a stroll?
13: Certainly.
0: You have done well, I see.
10: Oh, thank you. You should come and visit Mount Vernon. We are expanding the house, building out the farms. One day, we'll be one of the grandest houses in all Virginia.
12: I will. George Washington was six feet two, he's very tall, When Abigail Adams met him for the first time in 1775, she wrote, I was quite struck by General Washington. Citizen and soldier are agreeably blended in him. Modesty marks every line of his face. She was just gushing over George Washington. Oh, it's beautiful. (sighs) So he must have been commanding in his appearance, but also very charismatic. And there was just this mutual attraction between them, but they also were both ready. They were both ready to have that family and that security that they could each bring one another. And so that's perhaps one reason why um, their long-distance relationship resulted in only three dates and then a proposal. In
0: 1759, After their wedding, George and Martha settle into Mount Vernon with Martha's two children from her first marriage. During the years leading up to the War of Independence, Washington expands Mount Vernon and establishes himself as a political figure in Virginia's House of Burgesses.
3: He had been very active, uh, not in the radical side of revolutionary politics, but as someone who was a pragmatic Eisenhower-like figure that could bring a lot of diverse groups together.
0: In 1772, Charles Wilson Peale visits Mount Vernon to paint the first known likeness of George Washington. Washington
1: wears his colonel's uniform from the French and Indian War, even though he had resigned from the military
0: some 14 years earlier. It may have been Martha who suggested that George pose in his uniform, the same outfit he wore when he was courting her. But Washington was also acutely aware of the image he was promoting, that of a leader.
7: So he knew how to dress for an occasion. He knew how to look. And that was one of his incredible strengths as a politician that made him a great actor. We have to remember that he loved plays. He loved to read Shakespeare. So he liked acting and he knew how to act.
1: In the summer of 1775, Washington is a robust 43-year-old and in the prime of his life. Just appointed commander of the Continental Army, he prepares to leave for war. At risk is everything he holds dear.
10: Martha, shall be departing in a few moments. Yes. I know not whether it will be in my power to write to you again until I arrive at camp in Boston.
0: You will write when you can. I know that, George. Come and sit with me, please.
13: I think they loved each other, but if you think about it, he was gone eight years during the Revolutionary War and returned to Mount Vernon only once. Just think about that. I think Martha Washington was very strong.
0: You say that you do not want this commission yet. You are the only one qualified for it.
12: Martha Washington expected George Washington to return to her in the fall of 1775. That was his promise to her. And then she realized the war was gonna go on for a long time. So she decided to join him. Historians at Mount Vernon think that she spent 50% of the war with George in camp which really shows you the bonds that they had and the dependence that they had and the strength that they gained and gleaned from one another by being together.
1: In Boston, Washington takes command of 16,000 militiamen. The logistical challenges are daunting. He is in desperate need of gunpowder and other resources.
4: Everything was very strategic with Washington. He understood that the key to victory was gonna always be supply lines, that you had to have munitions, that you had to have foodstuffs, that you had to have blankets, that you had to have gunpowder that was dry. And he never liked to act if he didn't have all of the necessary materials for war at his disposal.
1: Before Washington arrives, the British had seized Bunker and Breed's Hill, taking heavy casualties. With no hope of engaging the British head to head, Washington sends a 25-year-old named Henry Knox to bring artillery to Boston.
9: Henry Knox is one of the most fascinating figures in the entire revolution, and he ends up being one of Washington's closest comrades and closest friends. If you look at Knox's background, he doesn't seem like much. He's a Boston bookseller, but It's Washington's genius that he's able to see beneath the surface of any individual, and he sees something in Knox. Knox is somebody who can think a little bit outside the box, and that's what Knox does at Boston.
0: In one of the greatest logistical feats in the entire war, Knox delivers cannons captured from Fort Ticonderoga. It takes him three months to negotiate over 200 miles of frozen swamps and impassable roads. Washington places the artillery high on Boston's Dorchester Heights. With his forces unable to aim their cannons high enough to counter, British General Howe has no choice but to withdraw.
3: Most people don't realize that ideology is not really the most important factor in an insurgency. It's momentum. So in Washington's way of thinking, the fact that he was able to have the high ground and hold his own would be very important for people who had their fingers in the wind and didn't know whether they should take the risk of being hanged, or they should just sit tight and be neutral, or they should join the British.
6: The British reaction to their defeat in Boston was absolute shock. How could a rabble lay siege to a major city with our army and our fleet and finally drive us out? It was almost incomprehensible.
0: For his victory in Boston, Washington is hailed as the revolution's hero, both with the public and his colleagues back in Philadelphia. The supposedly invincible British force has just been defeated in an early engagement.
1: Washington moves south to New York, certain the British will strike there next. But he knows his amateur army has yet to be seriously tested.
6: George Washington, remember, had been a loyal officer in that army, the British Army, during the French and Indian War. He knew they were the best trained troops in the world, along with the Hessians. And he is throwing a militia force up with limited combat experience. He knew he was in for a tough fight.
1: Riding with Washington is his attendant, Billy Lee. Billy Lee,
6: well, was a slave. He was also the personal servant of General George Washington. He was also Washington's friend and even his Washington's protector. In innumerable battles, Billy Lee would put himself physically in front of Washington because of all the the, the shot that was coming in that Washington would yell at him, would you get out of the way? And which Billy Lee would respond, Sir, I'll move when you get safely back away from enemy fire. That man was protecting Washington. He was just not a servant.
1: Billy Lee will ride alongside Washington for nearly the entire war and become one of the most famous African Americans of his time. Meanwhile, after the defeat at Boston, King George III has had enough. He sends William Howe's brother, Admiral Richard Howe, with the largest fleet in history, over 400 ships and 32,000 soldiers, with orders to crush Washington
0: and put a quick end to the rebellion. On June 28th, the first wave of over 100 British ships is sighted approaching New York.
6: Washington is faced with a military impossibility. Manhattan Island, Long Island, Staten Island, the Jersey Coast. Whoever has naval superiority is going to control that entire region. Washington is handed an impossible situation. Politically, he has to defend New York, yet it is obvious with British naval superiority it will be impossible to defend New York. But he had to make the effort anyhow.
0: July 4th, 1776. The Second Continental Congress in Philadelphia signs the Declaration of Independence.
1: Five days later, on July 9th, in Lower Manhattan, Washington, as the Declaration of Independence, read to his troops. We hold these
10: truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.
6: Where the Twin Towers once stood, is an iconic spot in American history. The troops are lined up, and if you looked straight down the green across New York Harbor, there around Staten Island was an invasion fleet of almost 200 ships. The largest transoceanic invasion fleet in history up to that time, offloading close to 30,000 troops. And yet, our revolutionary forefathers are standing on the green having the declaration read to them, which was their call as to why we
10: fight. And for the support of this declaration, with the firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor.
5: George Washington knew that his troops needed a mission statement. They needed no why we were fighting this war. They said, let facts be submitted to a candid world that we are doing this for these reasons.
1: Nearby, a crowd pulls down a lead statue of King George. His head is displayed on a pike. The rest will be melted down for bullets.
0: Washington now faces the best trained forces in the world. The Howe brothers coordinate the British attack. William on the ground and Richard on the sea.
9: William Howe is a superb general. He's an excellent tactician. He understands how to maneuver armies and troops in the field, and indeed, he's superior to Washington in that respect. He's also a Whig, and he and his brother who commands the British fleet sympathize with the American cause. And that's why multiple times in 1776 and 1777, Howe holds back and he decides not to crush the American army in such a way that will result in its utter annihilation, but simply to defeat it He thinks if he can simply apply a few simple lessons that the American people will come to their senses, rise up and return to the king.
0: The Battle of Long Island was the first major battle after the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the largest battle of the entire war. While his brother, William, provides cover for the British Navy, Richard Howe lands 15,000 soldiers on Long Island. Washington holds the high ground at Brooklyn Heights. His troops fire down on the advancing enemy. Howe changes tactics. He sends half of his men undetected through the Jamaica Pass. He has Washington surrounded. Some of Washington's
1: men retreat through the Gowanus Marsh and are slaughtered by the British. Washington had split his troops between Manhattan and Long Island, and British General Howe was closing in with an enormous army. Washington would need a miracle to survive.
3: Most military historians fault Washington for dividing his troops when he went into New York. And... The reason that they say that is that he didn't have a concentration of force against a traditional uh, army whose forte was firepower, discipline, cavalry troops. So Washington at this stage of the revolution didn't quite understand uh, the extent of the disparity between British professional troops and his own. And it was not just a route, it was a stampede by the
6: end of the day.
1: The Continental Army is no match for the British Army and Navy. The British expect Washington will surrender.
0: Uncharacteristically, Washington isn't certain of his next move. A surrender to the British so early in the war means not only the death of the cause, but shame as an honor-bound 18th century military commander.
2: His mood is despondent. He's really upset at the performance of his troops. He's mad at himself. He's been outflanked several times by the Howe brothers, but he's resilient. The thought of surrendering never entered his mind. When we teach about the
6: American Revolution, we tend to overlook what happened in New York. And what happened in New York was nothing short of a miracle. We lost. We had it handed to us at the Battle of Long Island. The troops that escaped that day were huddled down exactly where the Brooklyn Bridge is now.
0: After consulting with his generals, Washington orders a retreat from Long Island. Miraculously, a heavy fog appears and allows Washington to evacuate all 9,000 of his troops without loss of life.
6: They round up some boats and throughout the night they evacuate them under the cover of a fog back to Manhattan. The British were so confident that they had us beat that they figured, we'll wrap it up come dawn. Well, come dawn, they saw an empty beach. And it is firmly believed that George Washington was the last man off that beach, and the revolution would live on for another day.
0: Though certain of their military superiority, the British are in utter disbelief that Washington has somehow escaped with his army.
4: Well, look, there was a British condescension to the Yankee Doodle ragtag troops of Washington that weren't equipped properly, that did not have coherent uniforms at times, on and on. But they knew not to underestimate George Washington.
3: But had he lost the army, we probably would have been through at that point. I think Washington understood after the successful evacuation from New York that At least he thought he understood that there was a divine plan in all this. There was a deity, that he could receive guidance from God. This is a very important point because at this time we're right in the middle of the European Enlightenment where people who uh, were examining the relationship between logic and science and religion were trying to suggest that Religion represented a retrogression back into the Middle Ages, and the Enlightenment was the new scientific, technological breakthrough. And Washington was sort of a transitional figure that could combine the best of both, but uh, in a way more so than even Jefferson or Franklin or, and, or Hamilton.
13: Washington is an able man, but he has no force.
0: General William Howe next attacks at Manhattan's Kipps Bay, held by a continental militia of only 1,500 men.
1: Howe unleashes a fury of cannon fire, later described by a British midshipman as so terrible and so incessant a roar of guns, few even in the Army and Navy had ever heard before.
9: Kipps Bay is one of the worst days of Washington's entire life. British troops land And they begin to march uphill against positions that the Americans could have defended if they'd really wanted to. But the American militiamen, the American Continentals who were there have been defeated over and over. They're beginning to lose confidence. And they begin to withdraw, even without firing a shot. Washington arrives on the scene at that moment. And it throws him closer to total despair than he ever was before. And it's one of the defining moments of his life when he sees his troops withdrawing and he tells them to get back into line, and they don't listen. They keep withdrawing. Washington pulls the reins of his horse, faces towards the advancing British, and begins to ride straight toward them knowing that he's going to die.
2: And General Greene, one of his best generals, Nathaniel Green, says he requested death. He wanted to be a martyr. He was embarrassed at the behavior of his troops, which reflected
9: on him, and he wanted to go down in battle. Fortunately, one of his aides de camp reaches out and grabs the rein of his horse and pulls him back and pulls Washington off the field.
1: There is no choice but to order a retreat. New York is lost.
9: Unlike Washington, most members of Congress had no combat experience. And they tended to think in terms of ideals, and they didn't really understand what Washington and his army were going through. And so for quite some time, they are in denial For members of Congress, the defeat at New York was a catastrophe, and they can't imagine something like this could happen. And they almost don't know what to do. They're in a state of paralysis.
0: In late September, as Washington prepares the final evacuation of his troops from Harlem Heights, he looks back on New York City. One third of it is on fire, probably due to patriot arsonists who defied orders and burned the city as the British approached.
1: The defeat at Long Island and disaster at Kipps Bay was a devastating blow to Washington, a humiliation that affected him deeply.
9: At those darkest moments of the war, Washington considers the possibility that he may have been the wrong man for the job. Not once does he doubt the cause. Not once does he doubt that it's a cause worth fighting and dying for. But he sees himself as a human being, and he wonders whether he was the right man for the job.
13: He took everything personally. And I think when people deserted the army, he understood it because they didn't have the right equipment. Many of them had no shoes. He kept writing voluminous letters to Congress, we need more money, we need more money. But he didn't give up, and the ones that stayed with him knew that if they stayed with him eventually they would get paid. But they believed in the man because the man believed in the cause and the cause was freedom and independence from England.
0: When news of the great victory in New York reaches King George, he expresses his great satisfaction by making General William Howe a knight.
6: When we look at the first two years of our American Revolution and the changes of what happened between April of 1775 and December of 1776, it is a shocking decline.
0: The fall and winter of 1776 were desperate times for Washington. By mid-November, British General Howe sends troops under the command of General Cornwallis to pursue Washington across New Jersey. Colonial refugees flee ahead of the British war machine, and Washington's men are deserting.
9: It's 12,000 men, it's 10, it's 6. Before long, he only has a couple thousand men at his command. We were an army that was so thoroughly routed and demoralized that when the British were in
6: pursuit, Their cavalry was no longer even using the standard military calls. They were blowing fox-hunting horns. That is the contempt they held us in.
9: Washington sees the American people losing hope. That frightens him more than anything else. Washington doesn't worry as much about his own army in the field as he worries about the willingness of the American people to carry on the struggle.
0: Washington, not known for his public speaking, makes a last-minute plea for his men to stay with him for 30 more days.
10: Those of you who are with me, step forward. The rest are free to leave.
1: Washington will lose more than one-third of his able-bodied men that December.
0: After a series of losses and retreats, General Washington is in danger of losing the war. Washington writes the password for a daring attack, victory or death.
13: It's victory or death. We fight to be free. We've got to do this. And I think he knew. I think he really believed it would succeed.
9: And those were the watchwords for that day of the Battle of Trenton. And those watchwords were intended to remind the troops that there was no turning back. They either won or they died.
10: We shall attack the Hessian garrison at Trenton in three days. You're a mariner, are you not, Glover? You will find us boats. Colonel Knox, you will organize the troops. You gentlemen shall move my army across this river.
9: He sees Trenton as an opportunity to focus Americans' minds again on what they're fighting for, on the cause.
6: The plan General Washington created for Christmas night 1776 was to get across the Delaware River approximately 10 miles north of Trenton, swing south on a forced march at night, hit Trenton long before dawn, catch a Hessian garrison of about 800 by surprise, capture them all. People have always questioned why did Washington make this radical decision to attack Trenton. It was the equivalent of Washington picking up the dice and shaking, and he better come up with two sixes. That's what the odds were. Now, let's look at the numbers who crossed with him. About 2,500 men left. During the battles around New York, there was close to 30,000. Who were those 2,500 men that were left? That was the hardcore. And on the day that was to be launched, a true nor'easter came up the coast, a real nor'easter. Winds 30, 35 miles per hour, sleet, rain, snow.
1: On Christmas night, as his troops prepare in the cold, Washington orders Thomas Paine's The American Crisis to be read throughout the entire camp with its famous first sentence, these are the times that try men's souls.
6: And it was a challenge to every man and woman in America. Are we going to stand up? Or are we going to lay down and submit?
1: Tyranny like hell, Payne writes, is not easily conquered. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. These
4: words encourage Washington's men. He could read the morale of men like nobody else. And what he would do is use oratory to incite those thousands and to recruit more to the cause. And that inspired men. Every time you thought the Continental Army had dwindled, he was able to bring a new life back into it.
1: Washington's plan calls for multiple assaults on Trenton.
2: Most of his offensive plans were too complicated, too intricate, and he didn't have troops capable of carrying them out. It wasn't until Washington actually started his own move
6: that word came to him that the other two commanding generals said, sorry, sir, river's too high,
2: you're on your own. And so when he knows that, it's okay, should we go forward with this with a much smaller force uh, and risk defeat, or should we recognize that it's not going to happen? He goes forward.
1: General Washington crosses early to organize his troops for the attack, but moving 2,500 men, artillery, horses, and supplies across the Delaware takes far longer than Washington anticipated.
6: What should have been a one to two hour river crossing takes nine hours.
0: Just before dawn, The last boats unload Washington's troops on the New Jersey side of the Delaware. The men are cold, tired, and now face a grueling eight-mile march to Trenton.
6: The roads were so badly iced over that the men could barely get their footing. And when we're talking about footing, most of them were barefoot. You could easily follow the track of the Army because the road was covered in blood. Bleeding feet, staggering through the winter night.
0: Ahead are 1,400 Hessians, professional soldiers whom the British have hired to supplement their troops. General Washington fears the Hessians will have sentries on watch, but he
1: also knows some will be sleeping off their Christmas night celebrations.
6: Many would later say that storm was heaven sent to cover the approach of the army because the Hessian commander was thinking nobody is that crazy to be out there in a storm like this in the middle of the night.
9: And so there's that sense among the troops of despite their physical hardships, despite the elements, that they're marching toward destiny.
1: Washington and his troops arrive outside of Trenton hours behind schedule. With daybreak, they've lost the element of surprise. But Washington is committed. At 8 AM, he orders the attack.
10: Fix bayonets.
1: Fix.
6: Bayonets. Washington went into that battle wearing his formal uniform. He did so because he half expected to die that day, but he was going to die with honor.
1: March. The Hessian colonel, Johann Rahl, is unprepared for the attack. He had reportedly spent Christmas night playing cards. One account says an aide handed Rahl a message warning of a surprise attack, but the Rahl put the note in his coat pocket without reading it. Rawl does not survive the attack. The note was later found in his pocket.
6: The ending of the Battle of Trenton, I think, is one of the finest moments in American history and sets a precedent in American history. Because the Americans facing them had witnessed the Hessians executing prisoners in Manhattan and on Long Island. This was a moment that could have spun out of control. But, blessedly, with the American troops were some of German descent. And these American troops started shouting in German, comrade, comrade, lay down your arms, we will take your surrender. And with that, the Hessians all started to drop their weapons, put their hands up. There was no massacre. On New Year's Eve,
0: 1776, Washington again asks his men to stay with him. The inspiring victory at Trenton, and a promised $10 bonus, convince many to stay and fight. Washington follows up with another surprise victory at Princeton. He makes the British believe he is still in his camp by ordering his men to leave their campfires ablaze, then marches his men to Princeton to attack Cornwallis's flank.
9: At Princeton and the campaign that follows, Washington drives the British almost entirely out of New Jersey. He wipes out all the gains that they made in that previous autumn of 1776. In an incredibly short time, Less than two weeks, Washington has completely changed the course of the war. Washington has restored hope. Washington has restored the American people's belief in victory.
1: General Washington winters with the Continental Army at Morristown. There, he begins to discover a strategy to survive.
9: Washington believes in continuing to maintain constant pressure on the enemy so that when he withdraws to winter quarters, he doesn't just sit there and observe things. He's sending out cavalry, he's sending out militia to pressure the British and their German allies at every possible point constantly throughout the remains of the winter and into the spring. He doesn't give Howe a moment to rest. Washington had to survive, and he had to tell people
3: in America that I'm not losing, and we're going to gain strength, and the British can't do this indefinitely. And he was right about that.
4: You know, when we deal with the Continental Congress, we're dealing with the creation of the United States in 1776. Well, these politicians, Jefferson, Adams, and the rest, you know, they sign their names, they go back home. Adams goes to Massachusetts, Jefferson to Virginia. The revolution
2: was a marathon. Okay, he's on horseback for seven and a half years.
4: I mean, he's out there all that time. Washington has to find how to fund this army, how to keep them equipped. He's the star of the American Revolution, not because of his cunning on the battlefield, but he kept the spirit of the Continental Army alive, even in its darkest moments.
1: By the spring of 1777, Washington has grown the Continental Army back to a force of 9,000 men. But in September, at the Battle of Brandywine, Washington is defeated and British General William Howe takes control of Philadelphia, the American capital. Losing Philadelphia is another devastating blow to General Washington. Coupled with General Gates' victory at Saratoga, some question Washington's ability to lead and to win.
12: Washington was very much revered by the men who served underneath him, especially the officers. His fate was going to be their fate. Now, not everyone loved George Washington. There were some generals who competed and wanted to have his job, General Gates, General Charles Lee, General Conway. But one by one, each of those generals and their attempts for personal glory kind of fell away, and George Washington was the last one standing.
0: In December of 1777, Washington and his troops arrive at Valley Forge for the winter. Washington had been told there would be eight months' worth of food in storage. In reality, there were just eight days' worth of supplies.
1: At Valley Forge, Washington's troops suffer from hunger, disease, and exposure. 2,500 soldiers die by the end of the winter.
9: Valley Forge was indeed the terrible winter. Disease spread through the army. It's said that approximately 20% of the entire army died of disease that winter. The troops didn't have adequate clothing to wear. They were still wearing their old summer uniforms. They were down to just a few barrels of flour. They didn't have any meat, and their suffering was incredible.
0: Washington realizes that the morale of his men is part of that preservation. He inspires his troops by appealing to their emotions, like he had before the crossing of the Delaware. He has Joseph Addison's play, Cato, read to his troops. It tells the story of a selfless patriot who holds to his belief in liberty in the face of death.
10: A day, an hour, a virtuous liberty is worth a whole eternity in bondage. What pity is it that we can die but once to serve our country?
4: Washington had a genius for keeping the morale high of his troops. He knew just how far a human spirit could go and when they would need a kind of a different type of fellowship. And he was able to provide that And Washington was trying to remind them
3: that they were Republicans, that they believed in the idea that people had the right to elect their own leaders and make their own laws. That's a kind of an abstract thought for an army in the field of battle. So he was trying to imbue it, I guess the word would be revolutionary fervor.
0: Part of that revolutionary fervor came back to the basic necessity of a well-trained army. In February of 1778, an unemployed Prussian army officer arrives at Valley Forge with a letter of introduction from Benjamin Franklin. He is Baron von Steuben, and he is offering his military skills to the cause.
12: When Baron von Steuben arrived at Valley Forge, he was very well trained in European military tactics. But it didn't take long for von Steuben to realize in his inspections that these men really needed um, some skill sets to, to be a better fighting force.
5: When Benjamin Franklin was in Paris, he corresponded often with Washington. Occasionally, they had sort of bit of run-ins because uh, Franklin was always recruiting people to come help Washington fight, and Washington wasn't sure he needed all these commissioned officers who would run into Ben Franklin in the courts of Paris. We get all sorts of people, including Lafayette and von Steuben, but there are a few uh riff-raff that I think Ben Franklin sent over, and at one point Washington's saying, hey, vet these people a little bit more carefully. Von
1: Steuben speaks little English. His translators struggle with his frequent expertise. He trains Washington's men into a professional army.
12: Within a couple of months, you had a very confident fighting force. What's great about the story of Valley Forge is that it's an organic, natural, true story. A bedraggled, hungry, starving, naked army goes into Valley Forge, but a confident, fearless fighting force emerges. Over and over again, you see George Washington looking for that right moment to strike. His army left Valley Forge. He knew that the British were evacuating Philadelphia and they converged at the Battle of Monmouth.
3: I think at Monmouth, that was the first time that Washington saw that in a a classical set battle they would not lose, not that they would win but the Continental Army at least could hold its own against regular British forces.
12: And though neither side really won the Battle of Monmouth, the British realized they were dealing with a different army than they had been prior to that point.
2: Washington is one of the greatest military leaders in American history and in world history. But most of the great generals in world history end up losers. Hannibal, Napoleon, Robert E. Lee, Washington was not tactically a good general. He does begin to learn the lesson that's going to be so significant, the strategic lesson, not the tactical lesson, the strategic lesson that the British have to win. All I have to do is not lose. But it takes him a while. This goes against every instinct in his body. He's a fighter.
1: France enters the war in 1778 on the side of the Americans, convinced in part by Ambassador Benjamin Franklin and by the Americans' stunning victory at the Battle of Saratoga.
0: The French Navy and a young French aristocrat, the Marquis de Lafayette, finally helped turn the tide to an American victory at Yorktown in 1781.
12: Everybody knew George Washington wanted to defeat the British in New York because he'd been so badly beaten by the British there in 1776. And the Marquis de Lafayette wrote him a letter and said, look, I know you really have your eye on New York, but I'm telling you, the British General Cornwallis, he's building up a fortification here in York, Virginia. I don't think he's going anywhere.
9: Washington has a choice. He can continue to pursue his fixation on New York City or he can recognize an opportunity. Washington lets go of his pride. Washington lets go of his fixation. That decision that Washington makes decides the fate of the United States of America.
12: Washington tricked the British. He made them think he was gonna attack in New York, but instead, they surrounded Cornwallis and defeated him at the Battle of Yorktown, the last major battle of the war.
1: Washington and his Continental Army have won the war for independence.
6: Washington defeated the British by outlasting them, plain and simple. He defeated
4: the British Army by staying alive, by keeping his troops moving, by not giving in. Uh, A war of attrition.
2: And we see pictures of these guys with blood-stained bandanas. It's all true. They're all starving to death, they're not fed. Those are the guys that won the war.
6: And let us also give credit where credit is due. The French intervention was crucial, and one could almost say it was not so much that we won, it's that they lost.
3: Anytime an army lands on foreign soil, uh, there's only a finite period they have to win, and we don't know what that finite period is, but it's usually predicated on how much money they spend how many troops they lose and whether they have a perception of winning and bringing definite benefits to the population back home.
0: But as two years of peace talks drag on in Paris, Washington's troops and officers go without pay. There are even rumors of a military coup, unless Washington is more forceful in demanding funds from Congress.
6: In the winter of 1782, our army was encamped at Newburgh,
2: New York, starving, unpaid, not unlike the winter at Valley Forge. We know that Yorktown's the last battle in the war. They didn't know that. Washington assumed the war was going to continue. The British still had 25,000 troops in country. And the officer corps, many of them
6: decided to rebel.
0: At a gathering of officers led by General Gates, Washington makes a surprise appearance. He denounces the threat of a coup and implores the men to remember the liberty they had fought for.
6: Washington drew a speech out of a pocket, looked at it, and then did something unimaginable. In his pocket, he also pulled out his spectacles, something a military man
10: did not wear in the 18th century. I have grown gray in the service of my country. Now I find I am growing blind.
0: Reportedly, some of the officers in the room wept, so moved by General Washington's total commitment and personal sacrifice to his men and the cause.
11: What he had said to all of his officers was, I am loyal to the last drop of my blood to this Congress, to this government, to this republic, and you should be too. And at that moment in the room, you could almost have heard the air going out of any plan to threaten, intimidate, or mutiny against Congress. And in that one statement, Washington did it all. What a moment, and what an extraordinary man to be able to do that.
1: Seven years after his retreat from Manhattan, General George Washington rides triumphantly back into the city.
7: Washington's liberation of Manhattan in 1783 was really the capstone of the Revolutionary War and a moment of great relief and exhilaration by the American people. It was so because they had suffered so long during the revolution. And so when word finally came that the British were relenting and evacuating New York City, the whole sky broke loose. The people rejoiced. The city went wild. Fireworks were shot off at night. A week later
1: at Francis Tavern, his former New York headquarters, Washington says goodbye to his officers.
10: It is with a heart full of love and gratitude that I take my leave of you.
7: We forget what a sentimental man Washington was, how close he was, especially to his men with whom he fought for so long. We think of him as that that wax figure on the dollar bill, but he he was very close to these men and this was his chance to say goodbye He raised a toast to them. He raised a toast to their future, not his own, but their future. And Washington choked with emotion, left.
0: In late December, 1783, Washington sets out on horseback to Annapolis, Maryland, where he will offer his resignation as commander of the Continental Army. His travels take him through many of the areas where he had fought the War of Independence. These
7: were key sites of the war, where the people had felt the battles. And they all looked to Washington, who had led battles in those places, as their liberator. So at every stop, he was greeted with salutes, with balls in the evening. He loved to dance. Every woman wanted to dance with him, and he made a point of staying until each had a chance to. It was step by step by step, through New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Maryland, a moment of triumph for Washington, but even more so, a shared triumph for the
0: country. December 23rd, 1783. Washington arrives at Annapolis He is eager to return to Mount Vernon by Christmas, but is compelled to perform one last act for his country. At the end of the war, Washington could have become king, but here at the Maryland State House, he resigns as commander in chief of the Continental Army and returns happily to civilian life at Mount Vernon.
9: This is another beautiful moment in American history. In some ways, as choreographed, Congress fully expected Washington to resign his commission. That was one reason that the delegates to Congress don't get up and applaud Washington, because they want to be careful to show that they're not accepting a favor from Washington, but that Washington is performing his duty as an American. I here offer my commission and take my leave
10: of all the employments of public life.
9: No man has ever been trusted more in American history than Washington is trusted now.
1: Washington gives control of the military back to the people and is hailed as a hero. King George III said the act made him the greatest man in the world.
2: Now, if you think about it see julius caesar didn't do this oliver cromwell didn't do this
8: napoleon's not going to do this national leaders had often been military leaders generals became presidents prime ministers despots tyrants when washington handed over his sword and resumed civilian life it signaled this country was going to be different he resigns walks out the door gets on his horse and rides off it is almost
2: Almost fiction.
8: Like
1: Cincinnatus, the hero from antiquity who put down his plow, fought for his country, and declined personal power, Washington rides home. He has no intention of ever again serving in public life. When he goes back to Mount
2: Vernon, he never thinks he's leaving. I want to stay here and live out my days under my vine and fig trees. He feels he's he's done what he said he would do.
3: And so in the Continental mind. Washington is a Cincinnatus in the sense that he didn't really ask for the job. He had a life before, and after the crisis had passed, he went back to his farm. And it really resonated because the natural inclination of all people is is not to do that.
1: He arrives at Mount Vernon as promised on Christmas Eve.
0: After tending to Mount Vernon, which had suffered in his absence, he ventures west to the land he purchased during the French and Indian War. Perhaps
7: the most significant event of Washington's entire retirement was his trip to visit his frontier properties. Washington had always realized that what made Americans different was the frontier. That in Europe, people were basically trapped in their hometown. The country was full, they could basically be what their parents had been. What made America different was the frontier. The fact that Americans with initiative and ambition could always move west and create a new life for themselves. He had, of course, covered these territories as a youth alone on horseback as a surveyor, and he loved those days. Now he was going back as the most famous person in the world, an America's leading celebrity. And so he just wore his coat, had a saddlebag, and his great horse. He would try to find a settler's home to stay with at night, and could you imagine the surprise of a person living in a broken-down cabin in the frontier? hardly ever has any guests, suddenly knock on the door and you open the door and here is George Washington standing there asking for a place to stay. But other nights, he would literally sleep under the stars or under a bush with only his coat thrown over him. And from reading his diary, I think in his own way, he loved every minute of it. And though he is determined in his retirement,
1: he is persuaded to attend the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia in
13: 1787. He didn't want to do it, and they begged him because they knew they needed his gravitas when he entered the room, that he was the hero, and with him in the room, it might happen. And finally, he said, I'll do it, but only if we succeed.
1: Washington is elected as president of the convention for the next three months in the hot Philadelphia summer. He attends every session.
8: Washington understood that the the American experiment in self-government had depended on American success in the Revolutionary War, but that was just achieving independence. Now putting independence into effect required getting the new government up and running. America's first attempt at a government of independence, the Articles of Confederation, had been a failure. And that's why there was a Constitutional Convention.
0: Our founders understood the importance of the document they were designing. It was a blueprint for a system of government that would create a country unique in human history. A great experiment in human liberty.
5: There's something very deep about understanding the people who founded our country. Because they're the ones who imprinted our DNA. They're the ones who said, here are our values. And we've become the greatest republic in the history of the earth. And it's because of the values that they imparted to us.
0: They also knew their goal of a more perfect union would be a constant work in progress.
8: The framers of the Constitution understood that there were some big holes that were left in this charter. The two most important were, what do we do about slavery in a republic? What do we do about the balance between the states and the federal government?
12: George Washington changed over his lifetime on the issue of slavery. When he was a child, um, his father died, and he inherited slaves.
2: The Revolution was a transformative experience for Washington. He travels in the North. He sees blacks fighting in the Continental Army. He's got Billy Lee with him all that time, his closest associate, and he comes to realize that slavery as an institution is incompatible with the values of which the American Revolution is based on. He has no problem with that. But how do you end it? The only way to end it, he thinks, is by gradual emancipation. He sits in the Constitutional Convention and listens, and he understands that if you raise the issue of slavery frontally, it means the end of the union. Let's get the republic established Before we raised this issue, if he had, we wouldn't be here, because we wouldn't have had a republic. And he's the only one of the Virginia dynasty that frees the slaves in his will.
0: After the convention, Washington's longtime aide, Alexander Hamilton, along with James Madison and John Jay, Help get the United States Constitution ratified through a brilliant series of anonymously published essays known as the Federalist Papers. And per the new Constitution, a president, our first, is elected. The vote is unanimous.
9: Yes, he expected to be named president. That doesn't mean he wanted to be president. He wanted nothing better than simply to return to Mount Vernon and work on his farms. He doesn't grasp for it. He accepts it.
2: I would say that no president in American history did not want to be president more than George Washington. He didn't think of the presidency as a capstone to his career. He thought of it as an epilogue. And if he could have gotten out of doing it, he would have.
4: the ride of Washington from Mount Vernon to New York City to Wall Street where he gets sworn in as president, it's remarkable. People pouring out of the countryside just to have a glimpse of General Washington. There he goes. That journey was sort of the founding of our country. You can feel how strong the institution of the president was going to be as a symbol for the nation when Washington took that ride. On April 30th,
1: 1789, George Washington is sworn in as President of the United States at Federal Hall in New York City. As our first president, Washington realized he was establishing precedents for how future presidents would govern, including the appointment of the first cabinet.
9: Washington understood that in some ways it was up to him to define the presidency. He understood that the American people would follow his example for good or for ill.
12: The Constitution was vague enough on how the executive should be organized, so Washington uh, put pillars into the building. He's the reason why Washington, D.C. is located between Maryland and Virginia. That was George Washington's desire, and so, Uh, The vision of having this district was really George Washington's vision for the nation's capital to be geographically at the
0: center of the 13 states. The symbolism of the presidential office was also important. John Adams suggested that President Washington be addressed as your highness, but Washington felt that echoed of European royalty and preferred Mr. President.
8: Washington was aware that there were those who wanted the presidency to be, essentially, a monarchy in Republican guise. They were talking of a presidency for life.
1: Washington serves a four-year term and reluctantly serves another when fighting between the newly created Federalist Party, led by Alexander Hamilton, and Democratic-Republican Party, led by Thomas Jefferson threatens the future of the country.
9: I, George Washington, do solemnly
10: swear. I, George Washington, do solemnly swear.
9: That I will faithfully execute... But
1: during my... his eight years as president, Washington shapes the very institutions that make us American. He establishes the United States Navy, the
0: State Department, and the Supreme Court. And his treasury secretary, Alexander Hamilton, creates a visionary system enabling the new nation to handle its debts and establishes a federal banking system.
9: I think Washington surprised people perhaps by his vision as president. And he had a very powerful economic vision. He believes his role is to remove barriers to create opportunities. He saw himself in some ways as a facilitator for liberty, for prosperity, which he felt would naturally grow if the American people were given the opportunity.
0: After two terms as president, to the surprise of many, Washington once again sets a precedent. In Washington's farewell address, He refuses a third term as president and warns about the dangers of factions or political parties that put their own interests ahead of the nation's.
2: Washington was representative of the founding generation in the sense that the word political party was an epithet. They thought of parties in the same way we think of partisan lobbyists. They distort the conversation, the political conversation
8: in ways that are not in the public interest. In some ways, the most important thing that George Washington did was to leave office after two terms. Washington could have remained in office as long as he wanted, but by voluntarily stepping down—and this at a time when the Constitution did not require that—he said, two is enough. And this set a precedent for presidents right down to the 20th century.
1: Washington also stresses the importance of religion and morality. He writes, Of all the dispositions and habits that lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports.
0: And Washington helps to establish the American view of religious tolerance. In a short but enormously impactful letter to the Jewish congregation at Newport, Rhode Island, Washington writes, May the children of the stock of Abraham, who dwell in this land, continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants.
11: Washington was a man who was profoundly convinced of the virtue of religious tolerance, because it is religious tolerance, which makes for peace, and peace is what he wanted. Uh, He promotes tolerance, but yet he also sees that religion has a major role to play in the lives of Americans. Because what, after all, holds together a republic? A monarchy is held together by corruption and patronage, but a republic is held together by virtue. Where is virtue to come from? He could find virtue arising really only from one source, and that was from religion.
0: Washington spent the last years of his life here at his beloved Mount Vernon. He rose early each morning to actively manage every aspect of his farm.
1: During the daytime, he was helping to create innovative ways of farming, including new methods of crop rotation. In the evening, he and Martha entertained an endless stream of visitors. On the morning of December 12, 1799, Washington goes out for his daily ride to inspect his farms. It is freezing and raining. It will be his last ride at Mount Vernon. Washington arrives home five hours later and finds visitors. Not wanting to keep them waiting, he decides against changing out of his wet clothing. That night, Washington falls ill. His throat swells with infection and he begins a three-day process of suffocating to death.
7: couldn't breathe. He was choking. He had been bled repeatedly by his doctors. He had done one thing, however. He had prepared two wills, and he asked that those wills be brought to him. And he looked at them, and he tore up one. And we don't know what it says, but he tore up one, and he said, this was the one. This was the one that freed his slaves. This is the one that went down to posterity. Then in the end, he said, his well, and died.
0: Washington dies on December 14, 1799, at age 67. A funeral is held at Mount Vernon four days later, and memorial services are held in many cities throughout the nation. Washington's trusted friend, Alexander Hamilton, helps stage some of these tributes. Hamilton writes... Washington was a character unrivaled on the list of true glory.
1: In Philadelphia, church bells toll alongside cannon and gunfire salutes. Thousands of Americans wear mourning clothes for months. In France, Napoleon orders a funeral oration. In England, flags of the English fleet are lowered to half-mast.
0: Back at Mount Vernon, to protect their privacy, Martha Washington burns almost all of the letters the couple had exchanged over the years.
1: Their innermost thoughts during the war for independence and creation of the country are lost to us, but Washington's legacy remains. That of citizenship, sacrifice, honor, and integrity.
0: After his death, Americans marveled at Washington's dedication to creating and preserving our republic. In his eulogy, he was remembered as first in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen. More than any other person, George
1: Washington enabled us to better understand who we are as a people and a nation. He remains the greatest figure in American history.
2: This is what Americans need to understand to go back to the beginning. The statue was a living, breathing human being who went through all these incredible sacrifices and experiences, dangers, and succeeded. Fire that weapon! There are two founding moments in American history. When we declare independence and when we declare our nationhood, Washington is the central figure in both of those moments. for
10: the support of this declaration,
9: is more important for us in the 21st century as an example than he was perhaps at any time since he was alive I think Americans need him now as a unifying force of what it means to serve what it means to sacrifice for the nation
13: if you don't understand George Washington you don't understand what's important about America and Nowadays I don't think children are being taught in schools the original founding history.
11: It is Washington more than anybody else, more than Jefferson, more than Franklin, more than Adams, more than any of the others, who makes the American experiment, as he called it, a success. And without him it is simply incomprehensible to think of the United States surviving more than a decade or two decades in the environment uh, in which it was born.
5: He's the father of our country because at a time when we were being torn apart and we needed to be led, he held us together with his rectitude and his honor. It's easy to be smart, it's easy to be clever, but what's important is to be wise. And that's what you found in George Washington.